Well, what is going on, friends at Cornerstone Prescott? I am so honored to be hanging with, out with you guys for just a few minutes uh, this morning. We had a great time the first service. We're going to do it again the second service. Although I obviously wish that you guys were in the room with me. Uh, the beautiful thing about the power of Holy Spirit is that he is not confined to a room. Uh, he is with us all right here and right now. And so uh, I do want to uh, introduce myself uh, one more time. You know, the closer I get to California, my homeland, I live in Nashville, Tennessee with my wife and three kids and chickens and dogs and cats and all the things. But the closer I get to California, the better people can pronounce my name. So if you guys wouldn't mind, just just give me wherever you're at, wherever you're watching, um, you know, at home. My name's not Carlos, it's Carlos. So could you just give me a good morning, Carlos? Very good. That was way better than the first service. Congratulations. Um, we are going to be hanging out for just a few minutes and, and really leaning into something that may make some of you guys a little bit uncomfortable. May make some of you guys think, you know, like, oh, man, I can't wait till this guy gets off stage because he's challenging the way I like to live my Christian faith. You know, 2020 um, has really kicked a lot of us while we've been down. And 2020 is, has taken what I believe has been a lot of Christians and placed us, if this is like, if we're on the court, about halfway through 2020, a lot of Christians said, you know what, take me out, coach. Like, I'm just going to hang out here until 2021. But the truth is that we as Christians are not afforded the opportunity to sit out 2020. If, if there's anyone that can't sit out 2020, it's the hands and feet of Jesus, which is the church, the local church, which is you. And so as uncomfortable as it may be to step into conversations about justice, as uncomfortable as it may be to step into conversation about race, as uncomfortable as it may be to step into conversations that you don't want to have, I'm telling you, it's uncomfortable when you're speaking on behalf of yourself and not on behalf of the gospel. But when you start speaking the words of Jesus, it's not uncomfortable anymore. And actually, we are called to be front and center in these conversations. 2020 is trying its best to take us out. And I'll tell you what, um, John 10.10 10 is, is the verse we're going to be leaning into. And I honestly believe that 2020 is calling out John 10.10. 10. I believe that 2020 is looking at John 10.10 10 and going like, really, John 10.10? 10? Really, John 10.10? 10? That's what you really think life's about? Well, I'm 2020, and let me show you what life is really about. Huh. And that's what it's doing, right? Let's, let's look at John 10.10. 10. It says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, this is Jesus speaking, that they may have life and have it to the full. The full. Some translations say, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. And I know you may be sitting in 2020 going like, kind of agreeing with 2020, looking at John 10, 10 going like, really? Life to the full? Life with abundance? That This is what life with abundance and life to the full is supposed to look like? And I'm here to tell you, yeah. Because life to the full and life with abundance actually has nothing to do with your external circumstances and everything to do with the capacity of Holy Spirit in your soul. You see, for, for, so, many, for, for so many people, John 10.10, 10, they think that it means I'm going to have a nice car, a good job, you know, a happy marriage, all these things. And then when things start getting out of whack, we think, well, 
Jesus must have been lying because John 10, 10, life to the full is not for me. He, he must be talking about you're going to get life to the full when we get to heaven. No. The promise of John 10, 10 isn't for heaven. The promise of John 10, 10, it's for here and for now. I know that 2020 has wrecked us. These are some things that have happened in 2020. The Australian bushfires killed over 1 billion animals. Kobe Bryant tragically passes away. Pandemic spreads across the planet. My mother got COVID in Southern California. I live in Nashville. I couldn't get to her. The Olympics were canceled. The tragic death of George Floyd, civil unrest, Nova Scotia mass shooting, murder hornets, Flint has no clean water, a locust swarm of biblical proportion devastated African crops, Chadwick Bozeman passed away, a Saharan dust storm, Beirut explosion, our economy collapses, unemployment, and now we've got a presidential election that makes us hate our own family members. Is anyone else tired? Exhausted? 2020 is calling out John 10.10 and saying, all right, step up, John 10.10. But I'm here to tell you that no matter how tired you feel, John 10.10 10 is true. John Eldridge says this, the, accumul the accumulation of event after event that we are assaulted by erodes our confidence that we are a part of something grand and good and reduces us to a survival mindset. You know, we've all been told that we matter to God, but if we matter to God, then why does all this stuff happen? If we matter to God, then why does my mom get COVID? Why did my daughter go to the hospital? Why did, you know, I lose my income? Why did all this stuff happen? And we begin to make agreements. And some of the agreements that we make are, well, either we're blowing it, like we're doing something wrong and God's not pouring his favor out on us. That's the first agreement. Or the second one is God's holding out on us. And that second one's even more dangerous because then you start acting and going through life with a chip on your shoulder towards God who made the earth and created all this goodness for you. Now, we make these agreements, and, and they're dangerous agreements to make because life is brutal. But I'm here to tell you something. All of these promises of John 10.10 10 are available to you here and now on this side of eternity. We don't become Christians and then just wait for heaven in order to experience all God has for us. Like, well, I mean, what's the point of that? No, like, the goal isn't to become a Christian and wait for heaven. The goal is to become a Christian and bring heaven. Heaven is available on this side of the veil. Heaven is available here and now. Literally, as a believer, you have the authority to pull down pieces of heaven here. And some of you guys may be thinking, pull down pieces of heaven? What's this guy talking about? My life looks nothing like heaven. But abundance and life to the full is available in spite of how you feel. John 10.10. 10. Again, isn't talking about uh, life to the full, life with abundance, a nice car. John 10.10 10 is talking about a nice 401k, a good lake house. All those things just go away, man. Like, like that stuff just fizzles away. Abundance has nothing to do with accumulating things and everything to do with accessing the king. So that's this life to the full. That's the abundance we are talking about. So how do we get there? What do we do? How do we finally get to this abundant, wild life that God has for us? Well, the first thing 
we got to do is we've got to learn to hear the voice of God. We actually have to learn to hear the voice of God. And how I like to explain this, and I pile this under a, un, under a point called enter rest. Wherever you're at, even the people in this room, could you just please say enter rest? Okay. The purpose of rest isn't to just lower your blood pressure, although that's a benefit. The purpose of entering rest is to hear the voice of God. We were created for Sabbath. We were created for rest. And when you rest, what ends up happening is you lower the volume of life. And when you lower the volume of life, the volume of God, it goes up. When you lower the volume of life, the volume of God goes up. But we don't know how to lower the volume of life anymore. We're going a thousand miles an hour. We're going so, so fast. But the truth is, when you lower the volume of life, you begin to hear the voice of God. You begin to hear the voice of God. So many people that know that I love to teach. I've got a whole other message on just hearing the voice of God. That I love to teach on hearing the voice of God. And the first thing they ask me is like, Carlos, I, I can't hear the voice of God. And I'm like, well, let's look at your calendar and it's your screen time. How much content are you putting into your head? We were not created to consume the amount of content that we consume. And you wonder why you can't hear the voice of God. I believe that the volume of life is way too loud. So how do you know that you were created to hear the voice of God? Let's, let's go a little earlier in John 10. It says this. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. We are the sheep. I know I've, I've seen all the, like, political memes. I don't want to be a sheep. No, guess what? You are a sheep. You are created to be a sheep and to listen to the shepherd. Scripture tells us you are the sheep. You're not the shepherd. And, you're, and the sheep are created to listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The shepherd knows your name. He will call you by name. When he has brought all, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. You were created to know, to hear, to understand, and to decipher the voice of God. The voice of God is still booming. It is still loud. The problem is, is the volume of our life is so loud that we cannot hear his voice. We are created. So how do we lower the volume of life? How, how do we actually live in a way where the pace of life isn't louder than the pace of God? You know, I, I think a lot of people think that the way to catch up with God is by speeding up. But what if the way to catch up with God is actually by slowing down? We've got to learn to slow down. You know, uh, in Scripture, one of my favorite people to study in, in the Bible is Moses. And, and Moses, um, he, he freed the Israelites, right? Like, those were like his people. He freed them from, like, the Egyptian army, and they were slaves for many years. And he's always telling them in Scripture, though, to, to like, relax. And, and, and I, I love this. Um, he, he actually says... In Deuteronomy 27, 9, this is what he says to the Israelites. He says, Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Be silent, Israel, and listen. 
It, so, it sounds like what I say to my kids all the time. Be silent and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. It's like this was one of the last things he said to them. To, to think that one of the last things, after all the years he's been with them, after all the things God has done for them, the, one of the last things is that he's got to tell them to shut up. Stop talking. And then earlier, before that, in Exodus, do you guys know the story of Pharaoh? Where he, he had the um, Israelites as slaves, and Moses comes in and frees them, and they're finally on their way out, and they're running as fast as they can. They got the Egyptian army behind them. They got the Red Sea in front of them, and they're kind of looking around like, well, Moses, what are we going to do now? And they start yelling at Moses, literally, because they see the army hot on their tail. Moses, it says to them, actually in, in Exodus, it's, they say specifically, verbatim, why, what have you done to us? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the desert? There were plenty of graves for us in Egypt. We told you in Egypt, leave us alone. We'll stay and serve the Egyptians. Now we're going to die in the desert. And I love Moses' response to them. He says two words. Stand still. Stand still. And you will see the Lord save you today. And friends, when they stood still, finally, when they stood still, stopped yelling, he took that staff, he stuck it in the ground, and that sea split wide open, and they walked to the promised land. But can I tell you something? We are so far away from God providing a way to our promised land. He's already provided the way, but we can't see him because we're talking so much. We're trying to figure out life ourselves. And Scripture says to stand still. That was 30 seconds of stillness. And I know you guys are in your living rooms going like, why isn't he saying anything? You're freaking out? Because it was so quiet. It was so still. You're probably looking at your TV like, did it freeze? What's happening? No. I was just being still. But we have forgotten how to do that. And because we've forgotten how to stand still, I believe we've forgotten how to hear the voice of God. What can you do in your life to stand still, to lower the volume of life. We were created for conversational intimacy with Holy Spirit. You know, I, um, when you stand still, God is going to not only allow you to encounter him, but he's going to encounter you. And when you stand still, you're going to hear him in various ways. You're going to hear him through scripture, through songs, through sermons, through maybe dreams, whatever it may be. And I just want to let you know that it's not just you that wants to encounter God. God wants to encounter you. He literally is desperate to encounter you. And the reason I know this is because I know how desperate I am to encounter my kids. You know, when, when my daughter, my middle child, all growing up, she was the one that when I would come home from a trip, she'd sprint to the door and wrap herself around my legs. And she's just like, Daddy, I miss you. Every single time I'd come home from a trip, it was like, awesome. And then she turned 12. And something happened. And I don't know what broke, but when she turned 12... She stopped doing that. And I was desperate to encounter her. I'd walk in. I'm like, hey, daddy's home. Nothing. Then I'd go to her room. I'd say, hey, baby, like, how was, how, how was your week? Fine. 
Uh, baby, how was, uh, how was gymnastics? Fine. Um, okay. Are you on drugs? Like, I was literally worried. Like, what is wrong with her? What is broken? And so look, I did what any good dad would do. I grabbed her phone and I started looking through her YouTube channel to see what, what she's watching. And I started to see that she was watching this one video over and over of with this high school kid winning a talent show, flipping a water bottle. And I remember thinking to myself, why is she watching this all the time? And then I started to find out and hear from, like, her friends. And, and my wife was saying, yeah, youth group, they're always flipping water bottles. It's like, really? She's flipping water bottles? That's weird. Okay, what the heck? So then I, I realized, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to encounter her. So before she came home from something, I can't remember what it was, she, uh, I, I went and I grabbed a water bottle. Oh, I have got one right here. And I said, I'm going to learn to flip water bottles. Now, before I show you my skills on flipping water bottles, I need you to see the video that she watched of this high school student that won an actual talent show by flipping a water bottle. And you need to see just where the education system in America is hanging out these days. Watch this video. There you guys saw what my daughter was watching over and over. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to practice flipping a water bottle. And when she gets home, we're going to do this together. So she came home, and I was like, hey, baby, how was school? Fine. How's gymnastics? Fine. Hey, baby, do, would you like to flip a water bottle? Would you like to go outside in the backyard and flip a water bottle with your daddy? And she's like, yeah, Dad, that'd be awesome. So we went outside, and I said, hey, I downloaded that song that father that, that, that he won the talent show with, and we're going to try to flip the water bottle and land it at the exact same time as the guy did. Would you like that? Yeah, Dad, I love that. And we went outside, and let me show you how I encountered my daughter. Watch this video. father or the child yeah i believe god desperately wants to encounter you do what you were created to do lower the volume of life and begin to encounter him again i got her back for albeit five minutes and then she disappeared again but still i got her back and you know for those of you guys that are worried about 12 tween age years she's 16 now and she cuddles with me nonstop. i got her back but the beautiful thing what we've got to realize is you have the capacity to encounter Holy Spirit on a daily basis. But you've got to lower the volume of life. The volume of God will go up. So then we've entered rest. Now what do we do? We hear the voice of God. He's going to start telling you things that maybe you don't even want to hear. I call this enter war. 
Everybody, wherever you're at, say, enter war. Everything in John 10.10 will be opposed. It, it, it actually says, right, that a thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It doesn't say a thief comes to bother you, irritate you, and annoy you. It says steal, kill, and destroy you. But I think so many Christians, we don't give the enemy the benefit of the doubt. And we kind of walk around like, oh, yeah, I mean, there's an enemy. I guess I've heard of that, but whatever. No, 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 no. If you don't know that you're in warfare, it doesn't mean that you're not in warfare. It just means you don't know you are. So I'm here to tell you you are. But the, the, that, that might be the bad news that there's an enemy, but the good news is that we have won. We already have the victory. Jesus already claimed the victory for us. So we get to walk in it. How do we walk in it? What do we do? Well, we actually, I'm going to give you a couple tactical weapons of your warfare that you can use. And I'll use my anxiety story for just a minute. You know, my, uh, I struggled with anxiety for almost all of my adult life. Like bad anxiety. Like I had my first panic attack in the year 2000, and or maybe it's 2002, and I was on stage leading worship, doing the one, the only thing I love to do. And then I had a massive panic attack. I couldn't even get back on stage for months. Couldn't even leave my home for months. I was, I was like homebound. Every time I tried to leave, I'd have another panic attack. And so I was miserable, and I was crying out to God for healing. I was praying all the prayers, and. I began to get angry with God, and so I said, you know what, I'm just going to pull up my sleeves, I'm going to fix this myself. So I started doing all the things that, you know, I probably should do. I changed my diet. I started to exercise. I um, went to the doctor. I started on medicine. I um, went to a therapist. I did all the things that I should have done. And over the course of a few years, I got a little bit better. Then I got even a little bit more better. A little bit more better. That's how we say things in Nashville. And finally, about 10 years later, I got about 60% better from where I was. Now, I wasn't at 100%, but I was at 60. And here's the thing. When, when, when so many believers have been stricken with anything in their lives, and we're at 0%, 60% feels amazing. And so I stopped getting better at 60%. And I used to say things like, God has given me enough strength to deal with my anxiety. And, the, and that's kind of true, but that's only half true. You see, God doesn't just want to give you the strength to deal with your anxiety. God wants to actually completely heal you of your anxiety. Now, th that's actually a little, um, it's, it's in, in church culture these days, it's a little controversial to say that. Because I believe that people like, like to talk about having anxiety these days, but I don't think people talk about actually being free and healed from total and complete anxiety these days. And I'm talking about any, not just mental health issues, anything in your life. And it's because we're scared that if we believe it and it doesn't happen, then maybe God's not real. I know why. I know we don't why we don't pray specifically to be completely free. But I'm here to tell you on this stage that finally, after so many years of living at 60%, so many years of doing all the things in the natural, I finally took one last stab at it four years ago. And I'm standing on this stage completely healed of my panic and my anxiety. Completely. Like it's gone. Like I used to struggle with physical manifestations of anxiety on a daily basis. They're all gone. When I finally realized I'm not going to stop at 60%. I'm going to go to 100. Did it take work? Yes. But it took me believing that it could happen. I'm here to tell you, if you don't believe that it can happen, it's not going to happen. But if you look in Scripture, Scripture tells us that that's God's desire for us. 
So if it's his desire, then guess what? It can happen. And one of the, one of the main ways that I finally found healing for my anxiety was I actually began to pray like Jesus prayed. And when I say prayed like Jesus prayed, I began to study the Gospels. And I began looking at, at how I prayed. And when I prayed, I was very, gosh, my prayers were just filled with sadness. God, I'm so anxious. Oh, my God, I'm so overwhelmed. Dear God, I'm so depressed. Dear God, I'm so worried. Now, can you hear how I'm praying? Yeah. You can hear. I'm actually praying the problem. I'm actually praying the problem instead of praying the promise. And when I looked at the way Jesus prayed, Jesus never prayed the problem. Jesus always prayed the promise. Let me say that again. Jesus never prayed the problem. He always prayed the promise. But how many times are we praying the problem in our lives on a daily basis? Every single time. We're praying the problem. When you switch it, my prayers finally went from, God, I'm so worried, to I'm overwhelmed. Or, God, I'm so worried, I'm so overwhelmed. God, I don't know if I can do this. God, I'm so depressed. God, I'm so anxious. Then I open the Word of God. And instead of echoing the words that the enemy wanted me to say, I think the enemy's like giving you a round of applause and a standing ovation when you pray that way. Because you're making agreements that you have anxiety. Instead, I started praying the promises of God. I am the body of Christ, and Satan has no power over me, for I have overcome evil with good. I am of God and have overcome him, for greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, Lord. Your word and your spirit, they comfort me. I'm far from oppression. Fear does not come near me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, for my righteousness is of the Lord. For whatever I do will prosper, for I'm like a tree that's planted by the rivers of living water. Friends? You see what happened. It was such a switch. But instead of praying the problem, I began to pray the promises. And can I tell you, I began to rise out of my problems. I began to rise out of my issues. Even secular psychologists will tell you that this biblical principle is true. That what you speak over your life, you're going to get. I'm not talking about Bible-based people. I'm talking about secular psychologists will tell you this is true. All they're doing, they don't even know it is they're telling you the truth of God's word. We've got to learn to pray the promise, not pray the problems. So, to kind of round out this thought of enter war, I want to I leave you with one last phrase on this section. Again, you can do all the things you need in warfare on the physical side, um, on the natural side. Whatever it may be that you can roll up your sleeves and do, that's all fine and great. Medicine, uh, counseling, doctors, diet, exercise, all those things are very helpful, but they're not our hope. So, like, if you've been placing all of your hope on your doctors and your medicine, I'm here to tell you, they're not here to give you hope. They're here to give you help. And helpful is fine, but hopeful is where we want to be. So I like to say it this way. Our help is in the natural, and our hope is in the supernatural. Our help is in the natural, our hope is in the supernatural. Get that in your head. Our help is in the natural, and our hope is in the supernatural. So the second you start maybe feeling some hope rise in your heart over some natural uh, 
thing that's happening in your life, oh, like I can do that and fix it. Know that that's not hopeful, it's helpful. What you've got to find is your hope in the blood of the cross and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, you'll find freedom. So we've entered rest, we've entered war. Now, friends, we're going to enter wild. Wherever you're at, could you please say enter wild? All right, here we are. <laughs> Isaiah 43, 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls. Because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, I give drink to my people, my chosen. Let me reiterate something. Living in this life to the full John 10, 10 world does not mean that glory is going to fall 24-7, right? Like, we're living in a broken world with trauma and trials. And oftentimes, we have to walk through the wilderness to actually get to the wild. And again, remember, walking, this goes back to enter rest. We're walking. We're not sprinting through the wilderness. We're walking at three miles an hour. We were meant to do things slower. Slow down. And I promise you'll get through the wilderness. The wilderness is where many of us are going to find wild, unfortunately. Unfortunately, 2020 is set up perfectly for wild. You know, I, um, I've got a story to tell you guys, and I'll, I'll end with this, of something wild that happened in my wilderness. I, I was, my entire adult life, I've been a worship, worship pastor, a worship leader. Put out a couple records with Integrity, integrity Music, was touring, uh, leading worship at a bunch of great churches, Elevation Church, North Point Community Church, um, like on a, on a monthly basis. Things are going great. Then I started to hear God begin to tell me that I needed to stop leading worship and start speaking. Now, all my money in my bank account was because I was getting on airplanes with a guitar every week and flying somewhere to lead worship. I in no way, shape, or form was prepared to obey God because that sounded crazy. So I ignored him. And then more friends started to tell me, hey, I think you should start speaking. Then my wife, hey, I think you should start speaking. And I kept saying no until finally I said, okay. I said yes. And I went to my laptop. I opened it up, and I canceled 87 worship leading dates the rest of 2014. That's why I don't teach at leadership conferences because I never give this um, recommendation to anybody else. But I did it because I felt fully in my spirit like the next day I was going to open my inbox because in the email I said, hey, would – I'm, I feel like God's asking me to be a speaker, so I'm not going to lead worship at your event. You can have your deposit back. But could you please um, maybe pray about booking me to speak at your event? And I got 87 out of 87 emails the next morning. Hey, God bless you for your decision. You can send the deposit back to this email um, and this address, but uh, you know, God bless you on your journey. Three days later, no bookings. Seven days later, no bookings. Ten days later, I'm watching the bank account go to zero. 13 days later, I actually got in my car and I drove to Home Depot. This is after I'd been on tour with John Mark McMillan, Hillsong United. Like, I'd been making my living, leading worship at Elevation. I'm now, I've got to go get a job, and I was angry at God. And here's the danger. So many times in the wilderness, after we've said yes to God and yes to Holy Spirit, because we've, we've heard from him clearly, but we're at day 13 or maybe year 13 of the wilderness, 
and you think, you know what? God screwed up. I'm going to go back against, against what he told me. And I almost did that. I almost emailed everyone back saying, I made a mistake. But instead, I waited one more day. And on day 14, I got one email, the first email out of 14 days in my booking inbox. That said, dear Carlos, the White House would like to, and I hit delete because I'm like, it's obviously spam. Well, about an hour later, I got a call from my publicist saying, they know you deleted the email. I said, what? I opened it back up. They said, the White House would like to invite you to be the keynote speaker and sing one song at the president's Easter prayer breakfast next week in the East Room of the White House. My first speaking gig ever, ever, not a bar mitzvah, not a second grade Sunday school class, was for the president of the United States. Like, I just kept thinking, like, why me? And God was like, hey, listen, I told you. In the wilderness, I will provide for you. Friends, I, I mean, I, I, I planned a 10-minute sermon, and I called all my pastor friends. I was like, what do I say? And I thought, you know, I was going to walk on. I was going to see the president far away, and then I'd sing a song, see him far away, whatever. I walked into the White House that morning, and we actually have a picture. And I walked up to my table that I was supposed to sit at. There's my name, and there it just says the president. It doesn't even say his name. It just says the president. I was actually going to have breakfast. I didn't know this with the president. And we had breakfast. And well, I mean, I was, I was as nervous as I've ever been in my entire life. I got up there. I gave my 10-minute my message in about 60 seconds. And then I'll never forget, I got up there, and I was supposed to sing one song they asked me to sing, but I felt like, no, I'm going to sing, What Can Wash Away My Sins? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And as the president was looking me in the eye, singing this song with me, and I could hear his voice, my voice, and the voice of about 60 other people in that room, echoing through the halls of the White House, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. I thought, thank you, God, for this wild in my life. I almost missed the wild because I was so worried about the wilderness. And so many of you, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I know that you're in the wilderness right now, but if you, if you edit Holy Spirit... I promise you, you're going to miss out on wild things that God has for you. I started to walk around with a little swagger, right? I remember, like, I got done singing, and uh, I actually had a meeting one-on-one -on -one with the president for about five minutes. And I'm like, I'm thinking, like, man, I am, like, God's gift to presidential candidates in America. Like, look at me. Like, I'm ready to, t I'm, I'm ready to talk to all of them. They're just all going to invite me. And I walk around with this swagger, and I walked <laughs> two steps off the, off the grass of the White House. I put my foot on the curb of the street, and a bird— decides to drop a poop right on my shoulder. Like right there. Poop. Splat. And I remember my wife looking at me going like, hey, that's God reminding you, don't steal his glory. Because when things get wild, when you start experiencing miracle signs and wonders, it's going to be easy for you to start taking credit yourself. But remember, James does not say every good and perfect gift comes from your hustle. It says every perfect, every good and perfect gift comes from above. All of it. So. I'm here to tell you, wild is waiting for you. When you leave mild, enter rest, lower the volume of life, pray the promises and not the problem, and you'll experience his fullness. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful right now that I am standing in the midst of believers here in Prescott, Arizona, who are ready to lead mild. So 
I, I, I'm going to be very specific right now. I believe that there's people that are listening to this right now that have been running away from a massive call you have placed in their heart. They, they think they're either too old. I, I, I feel like, Father, maybe there's someone in their 60s that's listening to this right now that's like, you know what, it's, my time has passed. No, Father God, ignite that fire in their life. Ignite that fire in their heart and allow them to realize that they're just at the beginning of the wild in their life. Show them your face. Be clearer than you've been in a long time. For it's by the blood of the cross and the power of the resurrection that we all said amen. Amen. Well, we're here with uh, Carlos, and we're going to have a little bit of time to interact. So grateful that you're here with us today. Um, what a powerful message. Um, thank you for bringing that today. You know, you can text in um, questions that you have, and we're going to have some time to interact with those. If you have any questions, please feel free to text them to 928-288-5490. You know, Carlos, um, Pastor Scott often has next steps for us or things to, for people to think about to follow up after his sermons. If you were thinking of some um, relevant or practical things people could do as a result of what they've heard today, what would you be suggesting? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, let's take the three steps. Enter rest, enter war, enter wild. Next step for enter rest. How can you lower the volume of life uh, around you so that you, the volume of God goes up? Again, I don't want to blame something, but let's go ahead and blame something. This thing has... Uh, has really, I think, been the main reason why so many people can't hear the voice of God. So something that I did uh, is that I started charging my phone overnight in the kitchen and, um, and not having it in my bedroom because statistics show, right, because this is actually our alarm clock now. For most people, this is your alarm clock. Statistics show that people end up turning their alarm clock off in the morning and sitting in bed for 15 minutes before they get up. And the studies have shown that the amount of content that you consume in 15 minutes before your feet even hit the floor is more content than our great-grandparents consumed in a month. And so we wonder why we can't hear the voice of God. I'd say the very first thing to do is to start leaving this out of the bedroom and go by this thing called an alarm clock. Now, if, you, if you're 18 or under, you're not going to know what this is. This is an actual device where the whole function of the thing is just to wake you up and to tell you what time it is. And when I was... When I was growing up, it played Z93 and put me to bed. But all I have now is an alarm clock next to my bed. That All it does, I, I can't pick up my alarm clock in the morning when I hit snooze and start swiping on the alarm clock. It, it doesn't work. So I would say that do that if you're going to enter rest. That, that's one like quick and easy thing. Uh, for enter war, again, remember, begin to pray the promise. And, and an easy way for, for you to do that is to, what, what are some things, some ways that you pray negatively? And then just go to Scripture and find Scriptures that counteract those things. Um, and so I would say that. Start to pray the promises. Um, also, something that's very helpful is praise and thanksgiving. Every single morning, I put on whatever my favorite worship song is of the season in that, in that moment. And, um, and I play it, and I sit, and I praise God, and I thank God. And, and praise and thanksgiving are two different things. Scripture actually, actually tells us that praise and thanksgiving are weapons of our warfare, like those are more weapons of warfare. You praise God for who he is, and you thank God for what he has done. Those two things, every single day, you start your days off with that, praise God for who he is, thank God for what he's done. And I do it over the course of like three minutes, three and a half minutes, or ten minutes, however long the worship song is, 
And again, that sets me up. So that's something you can do every single day when you enter war. And then enter wild again. I would just ask you, um, enter wild specifically. Start to pray very specific prayers. We pray such vague prayers, right? Oh, God, bless my family. Oh, God, bless my business. Oh, God, give us a good trip. Like, that's fine. But we don't serve a vague God. We serve a very specific God. So my challenge this week is to start asking God some very specific questions. What that's going to do, it's, it's going to tune you in to the voice of Holy Spirit in ways that vague prayers never will. So, you know, I mean, honestly, like every single day, people think I'm crazy walking around airports because I'm like walking around going, Holy Spirit, like, do you want me to eat a Chick-fil-A or Chipotle? <laughs> and obviously it's always Chick-fil-A because there's gods in Chick-fil-A. But, but I, I, I'm asking him these specific questions, and I always I have a prompting. Either way, it's a feeling. It could be, it could be like audibly. It could be, it, it could be anything. But I believe that, that God is so interested in the very specific things in your life that when you pray vaguely, it's hard to hear his voice. But when you pray more specifically, so this week, again, very specific, pray specifically for um, simple things. Where to go to lunch? Um, what show should you watch? Uh, where should you go on Saturday? And see if you can hear the voice of God. I promise you he answers those things just as much as he answers the major questions in life. You know, as I was listening to your sermon, I was thinking about it for myself, and I was thinking about how my life can get busy. I can find plenty of things that I want to do, things that I want to be part of, that there's almost a pre-question for me is, do I even want to enter wild? Am I willing to make the priority decisions? Because this is going to make mean making some changes, uh, making some things where this says, this is a priority to me. Absolutely. I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to have to uh, sacrifice it's, it sounds so weird to even think that you have to sacrifice in order to enter wild uh, because wild is where you're going to want to be anyway. So why in the world would you even think it's a sacrifice? But I di actually didn't share the story. If you wouldn't mind, I'd love to share it real quickly here. Um, I had to sacrifice something for me when I want, if I wanted to enter wild, but I didn't know I had to sacrifice. Now let me explain it for you. I, I, I'm a hustler. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really busy. And I love to, to just grind. And a friend of mine said, hey, man, you've been working so hard. I want you to come on this fly fishing trip with me to Montana. And I remember thinking, like, fly fishing? Like, I, I don't, I, I like to be in the big city. Like, I don't, I've never even touched a fish. Like, I don't want, they're gross, they're slimy. I don't want to do that. He's like, no, man, come on. So he convinced me to go to Mon to fly to Montana to a place with no cell signal and to go fly fishing for a week. And I remember landing in Montana thinking, I made a mistake. This is miserable. And then I get out there, and they put me in these big, like, waders. They look like a big diaper on me, and then they stick me out in the middle of this river, and I'm looking for, like, crocodiles. I don't know. Listen, I, I don't live in rivers. I don't know what's in, in this thing. And, and I'm freaking out. And I remember my guide is like, hey, just I want you to put your fly, like, out there in the middle of the river right there. I see a brown trout rising, and I put my fly out there, and then all of a sudden I see a flash in the river. And my heart starts to pound. And then I see another flash, and my heart starts to pound. And then that, that trout comes up, and he sucks that fly down. And he's like, set the hook, and I set the hook, and the the trout explodes out of the water and it sprints down the river. You know, my, my, my reel's like going crazy and I'm holding it up and I'm fighting this thing. It takes me five minutes of fighting and I finally get that thing in the boat and my heart was pounding and I felt more alive than I felt in years. And I realized that God actually created me to be a fly fisherman. But, but I didn't even know. So I'd, I'd wasted 40 years of my life not knowing I was a fly fisherman. By the time I got home from that trip, I'd already bought a fly fishing rod. I bought some waders. And it's been four years, and there's not been two weeks that have gone by that I've not been waist deep in a river. Even when I flew in yesterday, I flew into Phoenix, I only had like three hours before the sunset. And I did my research, and I found a river that I went and didn't catch anything, but I still went. 
And it was beautiful and it was peaceful and I entered rest. And so I guess what I'm saying is that you're going to, it's going to sound crazy when God starts telling you to lower the volume of life and to rest. But I promise you when that happens and when you risk that, it's going to propel you into it. And you shared pretty openly and honestly about um, anxiety that you face, panic attacks that you've had, um, things like that. And I imagine there's people that have been through that and they feel like they've tried everything. It's been there, done that. And, and, and at this point, it's just discouragement. Can anything really help? Um, if a person's at that point where, man, I, I don't know if there's, I'm past that point. I've tried everything there is. How would you respond to that? Absolutely. You, you have tried everything there is. I, I believe that you've tried everything. Trust me, because I was you. I had tried everything. And I realized that I was not going to be healed in the natural. Because everything that I tried and all the things I'd been to experiential therapy, I'd paid for more therapy hours than a human should possibly ever pay in their life. And I only got a little bit better. And I, that's when I realized that my help is in the natural and my hope is in the supernatural. And I had to really rely on the supernatural to get me out. And so I found an inner healing specialist in Nashville. And inner healing is just a, a, a way to tap into Holy Spirit that he's going to lead you to places that you don't know are healed, that you don't know need to be healed in your story. And so I found a guy, uh, the, the program I used was called HeartSync. There's different programs. There's one called Restoring the Foundations, different versions of, and again, this isn't just healing from anxiety. This could be healing from anything that is kind of a chronic issue in your life. Um, and so I, what, what I would say is, again, I know it was, it was 15 years of me taking Paxil, doing my things, and being like, well, this is, this is it. This is what I got. But if, if, if there's ever been a miracle story, it's me. Trust me. My, my family and my friends look at me. They still look at me with their mouths hanging open because they can't believe that I don't experience physical manifestations of anxiety on a daily basis. And so I'm here to just tell you through my testimony that it is possible that you can be healed on this side of heaven. Now, will it happen? Maybe, maybe not. But Scripture tells us that it is possible. So why in the world would we end up just sitting back on, on, like, it may not happen instead of it may happen. So quit pushing all your chips over into it may not happen. Trust me. Just give me give, give it four weeks and push it into it will happen and just see what happens from there. You know, someone wrote in and asked this, if you're new to praying the promise or even new to God's word, are there tools or apps you would recommend if someone's feeling overwhelmed to have scriptures to pray related to that topic? So, yeah. so how do you find the scriptures? How do you find that? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially if you're new, you know, I mean, this thing's huge. This, the Bible, I mean, goodness gracious. Now, the first thing I tell you is, is you don't have to be a biblical scholar in order for God to lead you to places in the word. Like I would say in your daily prayer, every single day, start asking him specifically, Lord, what would you have me read today? And, and it's going to feel weird, but maybe you'll just feel something in your gut and you turn to it and you open it. That's going to be the first step, I believe, to finding what God has for you in his word. But the second step, I, I would say like in my book, there's a whole bunch of different scriptures in the middle section uh, that, that can help you pray the promises. Obviously, I got a whole chapter called Pr Pray the Promise in there. But also there's a book by Charles Caps. It's a, actually a pamphlet written like a long time ago um, called God's Creative Power for You or In You. I can't remember. You'll find it, though on Amazon. It's like 99 cents. And that book was the book that taught me to pray the promise, like the one. And so there's a whole bunch more that have been that I've read since then, but this is the one. So I would say um, maybe, maybe Enterwild or Charles Capps, God's created power in you. Uh, it's filled with different scriptures you can pray when you're overwhelmed uh, for your finances, uh, if you're overweight, for all sorts of problems in your life that you, maybe you've been praying the problems, uh, it'll help you. 
So the book you're talking about is Interwild. This is your newest book. Um, and the, for the three points you had today, that's really the three sections of this book. So I was noticing there's six chapters on interrest, eight chapters on interwar, and six chapters on interwild. I got those three. I, I got them down. And so you'll find those in there. The middle sections. what you're saying, that middle. The middle really has to deal with, with me conquering my anxiety. So that's where there's a lot of verses specifically. I also noticed there's a prayer at the end of the book, several-page prayer that I think is um, part of your ritual of praying that prayer. I pray it every single day. Uh, It's a daily prayer that I initially got from John Eldridge, which I kind of crafted to be my own. He got it from somebody who crafted it to be his own. But all it is, it's a a way to start your day and consecrate your day to God every single day, which consecrates a fancy way of saying offering your day to God. And, um, And yeah, so, you know, use that daily prayer, do it every single day, and I think it'll really help. We had one comment that someone sent and said, thank you for praying the promise and for the encouragement to live in the wild. It was a privilege to sit with Carlos teaching. Oh, that's so kind. Yeah, and we're grateful that you've been here today. Any final comments you have for us today? You know, uh, no, my my final comment is, um, you know, I think a lot of times you can hear a message like this and you can get inspired and you can think like, man, that's awesome. But do something. Like like do something with it. Like today, like before actually – you're gonna, this is going to shut off, and then you're going to get up, and you're going to go have lunch, and you're going to drive to Chick-fil-A. No, it's closed on Sunday. Closed on Sunday. But um, I would say, before you leave, decide what is one applicable thing that I am going to do this week, and then make it happen. Yes. Carlos, thank you so much for being here. Such an encouragement, and I've enjoyed the opportunity to get to know you along with hearing the message. And I got to hear it twice, so I got to be blessed more than everyone else. Thank you all for being here with us today. Next Sunday, Pastor Scott's back. He's starting a new series, so we're looking forward to that. Have a great week.